Chapter 6 Moving Towards a Landed Physics The dominant way that physics is perceived and done in Eurocolonial society is consistent with extractive logic, from writing practices to phenomena. Not only are experiments built with extracted materials, but they are often built to further the production of consumer or military technology, increasing demand for extraction. In answer to my first research question, I showed in Chapter 3 that the scientific writing of physicists is a part of extractive structures. The articles I analyzed there show research motivated by technological applications and funded by war organizations. The authors did not attend to where their materials came from or where they would go to once they were finished with them. In trying to undo the disoriginating that allows physics workers to act as though their work is disconnected from the earth, I told a land story of Indium in chapter four. This responded to the first part of my second research question. How are the practices of physics a part of land? Colonial efforts opened up a mountain in southern Bolivia 475 years ago at the expense of people and forest. A smelter in western colonial Canada that processes indium on occupied territory launches lead dust into the air. Discarded screens sit in piles of e-waste leaching chemicals into water. Using the framework of land introduced in chapter 2, we can understand that every bit of land in this story is connected to the other ones, and that connections imply responsibility. Finally, in chapter 5, I provided an ontological argument to understand the entirety of physics as a part of land. This responded to the second part of my second research question, how are the phenomena of physics a part of land? Though a quantum field may exist everywhere, we are only able to come to know one by using bits of the earth arranged by us to make it act in a particular way. Thus, even the phenomena of physics that sometimes seem so far from Earth or the complexities of life are really a part of land, though they are produced in extractive structures. In light of us all being a part of land and having responsibility to those we are in relationship with, it makes sense to ask where to go from here. Many practices in physics are part of extractive systems. How could it be different? part of an anti-colonial effort. How can physics workers be responsible in their work to their relationships with all parts of land? A common response to the ethical problems of extraction is to try to use things like fair trade or conflict metal policies to get rid of the quote-unquote bad metals. In section 6.2, I'll argue that neither of these policies are sufficient and that we must oppose the structures of extraction at their root. Then I will make non-exhaustive suggestions for action that physics workers can take in section 6.3. The discussion of tactics for change in an essay targeted at scientists provides some answer to my final research question of how STS work can be usefully targeted towards science workers. The issues I raise here are not intended to be about speculation for a more effective physics. Few of my suggested paths for action would result in much more physics work getting done. I am using the term landed physics to indicate something to move toward, but I'm not even really convinced by that term myself. If we took land seriously, 
Would science really be so divided from the rest of knowledge? Would physics exist in a recognizable form? I suspect not. I will argue why we should seek to let go of physics in section 6.4. Before I delve into practical tactics, I will spend some time with the overwhelming nature of the situation. In processing something as enormous as extractivism, it's sensible to attend to emotions before trying to move into action. Section 6.1, being overwhelmed in a messed up world. The world is fucked. There are plenty of good things like birds and chatting and plants, but there's just such an awful lot of very old, very entrenched, very bad shit. Sometimes I feel overwhelmed. Sometimes I worry that since everything is connected to something exploitative, I can't do anything at all. In chapter five, I argued that the entire practice of physics, from theory to experiment to weapons applications, was built on extraction. So what's a physicist to do? In chapter four, I talked about how workers and their land in Bolivia have been exploited for hundreds of years and how this is a main reason that we have indium available for consumer technology at all. What is a person writing their thesis on a laptop with a screen lined with indium supposed to do? I want to first acknowledge that there is a lot of grief to feel here. The destruction of life on our planet is and has always been grim. I touched on several genocides in this thesis. And all of this destruction has been building for centuries now into a mass extinction. Grief about this and our spiraling climate, caused in large part by extractivism, is very difficult. As I wrote this thesis in mid-July, Toronto was experiencing its first rain in weeks in a scarily intense storm. It was just a small reminder of our intensifying weather and our terrifying future. It makes sense to feel this grief, to spend some time with it in whatever way that one feels grief. When we know our own grief for ourselves and for others and have felt it through, we can move forward together with that grief to action. So, carrying our grief with us, how do we confront the way that we are tangled in webs of extraction when some of us may feel like we cannot move for the possibility of pulling a string on yet more violence. I'll take direction from Liborno et al, 2018a, who quote, take as their starting point a permanently polluted world. They draw on Alexis Shotwell, who writes in 2016 against the idea that the world used to be pure and beautiful. We can imagine what the world might have been like, quote-unquote, before all the problems introduced by humanity, but, quote, the slate has never been clean, and we can't wipe off the surface to start fresh. There's no fresh to start, from Shotwell. There is no way to live without hurting oneself and others. That's not what life has ever been, even before. There is no world of overflowing abundance. Shotwell writes that, quote, the real possible world offers finite freedom, adequate abundance, 
modest meaning, and limited happiness. We cannot avoid toxicity. Simply separating out that which is bad is not only not possible, but does not confront the quote, social, military, and other power structures that engender toxicity to begin with, from Libero et al. Seeking the impossible pure form of action will only leave us in stagnation. We genuinely need to act against these structures. And it's not quite that we need to stay strictly within their self-defined bounds, that oft-discussed imperative to work within the system, but that we are tangled up in them anyway, inevitably. It's not like anything goes, but there will be hurt and inconvenience and a whole lot more along the way of tactically acting against colonialism and extractivism. We could think of a tailings pond, maybe. It's big. It's in the ground. It's full of stuff that hurts people, maybe arsenic and lead, and a whole lot else besides. A desire for purity might look like a desire to be rid of it. And an understandable desire that would be. But it can't go anywhere. And if it did go elsewhere, it would still be somewhere on this earth. Humans were the ones who made that tailings pond out of rock that used to not hurt anyone. Probably, a certain colonizing class of capitalists opened the mine and exploited the labor of poor working people to operate it. Humans of some kind are the only ones who can attend to the tailings pond. Humans can make sure its pumps are in working order. They can maintain the dam, for a while anyway, and they can make a warning system for when things get more immediately dangerous. Finally, they can work so that more tailings ponds don't get built. Section 6.2. Is there an ethical way to buy a metal? In some of the ethical systems I touched on in Chapter 3, there is a focus on personal choice to not participate in things that one finds unethical. In the context of mines, this might look like excluding bad mines from a supply chain. There's quite a lot of attention paid, you may have noticed, to children mining cobalt in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and how some of the profits from those mines are used to fund local militias. Tin, tantalum, tungsten, and gold are labeled conflict minerals for the same reason. If we just stop the bad parts, the logic goes, maybe it will be okay. So we've done things like create labeling systems for conflict minerals deemed to be clean, in contrast to the arguments of Liborno et al. and Shotwell. Radley and Vogel in 2015 make a compelling argument that this labeling system for conflict minerals has done little even to minimize the size of militias. Instead, it has actually made it more difficult for men to be employed at the mines so that some of them seek employment with militias. There are many problems with this program, clearly. It didn't attend to the needs of the workers, for instance, instead identifying the problem as somehow being with the metal. More deeply, it operates on a fundamental assumption that an ethical purchasing relationship can be achieved, and that it's rather straightforward to do so. One can also be more deeply cynical and probably accurate about the program. Nobody who designed it ever wanted to accomplish anything like stability in the region or fair working relationships with miners. It was developed, of course, by the American Congress. 
who has always had a deep interest in maintaining instability in many places in the world, and they've been very successful at doing so. Even if somehow American legislation played a role in building stability in a region, which I find literally laughable, and the workers had appropriate safety equipment, and the wastes were attended to as best as we know how, then would the tantalum or cobalt or tin be clean? There would still be wastes, soils disturbed, plants torn up. There are no workers unaffected by mines, at least not workers who live near their mine sites. And there will always be a host of technologies made with materials extracted from other sites. The rock wouldn't grow back. It turns out that much of the technology for restoration after a pit is operational is superficial at best. See Kuyak 2011 and Neen 1999. And again, mines are not operated in this way. Corners are constantly cut, artisanal workers do not have PPE, slag gets tossed in rivers. The point is that there is no clean mine. I want to emphasize that the problem here is not only capitalism. I have focused on extractivism and colonialism throughout the thesis, noting that capitalism rests on both of these structures. And that was intentional. If we could put everything in the hands of the workers, it wouldn't necessarily fix the problems of extraction or colonialism. As Arbolita writes in 2020, quote, the radical democratization of the forces of production is not enough, end quote. A democratically operated mine is still one which permanently extracts value at great cost to the ground itself and all the rest of the nations there. Emancipation would require us to overcome all of the rifts of alienation that we experience from labor, objects, machines, and the ecological world. The land belongs to itself, not to the workers. So, we cannot and should not imagine a clean mine. The indium in someone's lab will not be pure just because it didn't come from Bolivia. Yet, I was just talking about how we ought to reject purity. Here, I mean at least two things by that. One, if we think purity is possible, we might put all of our efforts into making a clean mine, which is not possible. It is not a good idea to put all of our tactical eggs in that basket. It is not a good idea to think that we are absolved because we were able to purchase from a smelter with a less abysmal record than Tex. We cannot seek the same structures, but clean. We must remove the structures. Two, some mines really are better than others, and that's got some kind of value. Mines where workers have power and protection from harm are better. Mines which provide adequate compensation and healthcare are better. Operations under a nationalized system are better than those under a corporate imperialist system. Tailings ponds with well-designed, well-maintained architecture are far better than those with dams that break. See Friends of Mining Watch 2019. Fighting against corporate imperialism and for workers and environmental protections is genuinely worthwhile for all it does to lessen the violence experienced by people and their living surroundings. There is something to balance between these two points. Reforms pose their own dangers. 
so-called socially responsible and sustainable mining has gained a serious foothold in the corporate lexicon and strategy handbooks. Mining conferences run long sessions on restoration and on consulting with local communities. That would be cool if it wasn't essentially a PR stunt. The existence of these programs puts another layer of defense between them and those who would critique their operations. It's easy for people who are underinformed and sympathetic to mining to point to the existence of those programs as evidence that mining isn't all that bad. There are also ways that metals are used which are not about increasing military power or corporate profits or wonder, but used for life. We use iron to build apartments. We use steel to pipe water into our sinks. We need mobility devices made of alloys light enough so as to actually be usable. There is a vast range of assistive and medical technology that is invaluable to millions of disabled and ill people worldwide, and thus is invaluable to all of humanity. That doesn't make those minds clean, or excuse even close to all technology, but it does make them more complicated. We cannot buy our way out of this problem. And we can't, as much as I would like to, make a simple demand that we just stop, whatever that would mean. Nonetheless, we can commit to opposing extractivism. We can, for instance, ask to drastically reduce the amount of many of the metals we mine. Surely, nobody needs any more gold. And if they do, they can take it from the Federal Reserve in New York, which holds at least a fifth of all the gold we have ever extracted from the Earth's crust. See Graeber, 2011. We can make strategic decisions in support of thought-out tactics aimed at a particular node of extractivism, including ones we might find ourselves working in. Section 6.3, Ways to Move Forward. Physics workers can strategically act for more responsible relationships. Now, recommendations are often given exclusively to those who already have power, department chairs, journal editors, and such. I have found that these types of recommendations are often ignored. My approach here is to provide notes on strategy for those without much power, like graduate students. I discuss starting points for goals and tactics broken down into categories of approach. I will not make a recommendation that we establish research ethics boards for physics, since the systems of ethics that they operate under do not generally oppose extraction. Further, I do not want to recommend a course of action that can be used to legitimize extraction. Now, there's a lot here. It's not intended to be an agenda for everyone's course of action. Some of these suggestions will not be feasible or even useful everywhere. Some cannot be taken until others are well on their way. Like all action taken to change society, there could possibly be serious consequences. Consider them. Act in solidarity with others, take security seriously, and be careful. There are many themes in tactics. In order to negotiate with bosses, including PIs, department chairs, journal editors, and granting agencies, build labor power. Address emotional and financial precarity as a foundation for other work. Build new narratives through writing, workshops, and discussions. Use media, including tweets, blogs, opinion pieces, and journal articles. 
participate in, and organize protests. Join organizations resisting extraction, militarism, and racism. Be creative. Remember the people opposing these tactics are very well-resourced and have been fighting for a long time, while those who oppose the structures of power that exist have been decimated time and time again. Strategizing effectively can take a long time and is not always successful in the usual sense of the word. Sometimes the result is improved relationships, and sometimes the result is just ambiguous. Always, the process and results are particular to the place and the people and the actions under contestation. Now, there are many paths for action. Much work in equity, diversity, and labor organizing is useful for building power of physics workers in their workplaces, which can then be used for the following paths. Physicists can agitate for indigenous law and treaty relations to be followed. Physics papers can be written more slowly, taking as valuable more of the context of the work. Communities resisting mining are in need of solidarity. Some physics projects are not needed, and if workers have more power, they can practice refusal in the tradition of Luddism. There's plenty of military funding and rhetoric in physics. There's lots of narrative building to do there in resistance. And in place of these unsavory parts of physics, more focus can be put on community-driven, problem-oriented research, maintenance of our current knowledge, and education. Building power within physics. Physics is known to many of its workers as being highly competitive and full of racial and sexual harassment. A kinder field that attends to the humanity of its workers far before it demands their productivity would have a lot more room for criticism of the field, research into land, and other responsible actions. Success here can form the foundation for successful actions on other axes. The goals are build time and emotional space for workers to slow down and take on non-physics tasks, build negotiating and labor power. The tactics. Unions can be powerful, so unionize grad students, adjuncts, lab technicians, and faculty. Though far from a trivial endeavor, the negotiating power gained through unionizing is huge. Campaign for living wages, health benefits, and worker protections. And imagine what cross-university unionizing might look like. Harassment is rampant in physics. Responses at multiple scales are needed. Start with implementing codes of conduct in research groups, clubs, and conferences. See examples from FemFiz and the Barrio RQI. Get training from community mediation organizations for responding to harassment. For instance, organizations like St. Stephen's Community House in Toronto. Read about transformative and restorative justice and use them to inform response frameworks that can be implemented by small groups. See, for instance, Dixon and Piepsna Samarsinha, 2020. For instance, firm boundaries can be established between harassers and those who have been harassed with the help of support persons, even if they're not supported by the university. Media campaigns can be mounted against serial harassers who are not facing consequences at universities. 
see Ouellette 2015. Diminish the power of professors over students with tools like unions. Be suspicious of professors. Community spaces can foster supportive relationships and alternative analysis of physics work. See Ong et al. 2018. Power is built in friendship and solidarity. So build these spaces with the people they are meant to be for. Use solid accessibility practices, including those in Leary 2020 and those from the Belfast Trans Resource Center. Run social events of varying degrees of formality, run academic help, run discussions which connect participants to thought outside of physics. Relationships can break when people are forced to work a lot and move frequently, as in physics. As a reach goal or a tactic for people in power, hire local grad students as postdocs and local postdocs as faculty. Campaign against the precarity of adjunct faculty while advocating for the creation of permanent unionized part-time positions. Design programs with fewer courses. Focus less on producing excellent physicists and more on maintaining the well-being and ethical power of individuals. Do narrative work against the idea of excellence. Focus on doing good, not on being great. Treaty relations and decolonization. Every physics department in Canada is on Indigenous land. I have presented in this thesis an argument that the work of physics should attend to Indigenous law. The tactics here ought to involve the leadership of local nations and Indigenous students. The goals, follow indigenous law, give land back, dismantle the colonial state. Easy. The tactics, universities have now expressed interest in indigenization. Use this interest as a tool in media, departmental meetings, and so on for making demands. Demand the university give land back and follow indigenous law. Recognize in this process that many treaties were made coercively and investigate the law of local nations. Work with indigenous lawmakers and physicists to explore how local labs could follow local laws. Include indigenous science, physics, and astronomy in the department, recognizing that this will expand the scope of the department into land. Join protests and agitation in support of land defenders, and missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit people. Writing and publishing. I have argued that physics writing is one place where disoriginating is continued. It is also a location of overwork for physicists. The goals? Discuss land and labor in publications. Publish slowly. The tactics. Physics workers can change the genre of physics writing. Include land stories or tidbits of information about materials used in experiment in papers. Write about choices made or possible difficulties in finding low-impact materials. Acknowledge explicitly the work of lab techs and grad students. Point out labor inequities. Use grammar that acknowledges personal agency in experimentation highlighting the fact that physics is done by humans in conjunction with materials.
Journals will often refuse to publish material which they do not believe to be directly relevant to the experiment. The ubiquity of publishing on the archive, our wonderful online preprint repository, is useful here. Publish on the archive and cite archived versions of papers where allowable. Use and create archive overlay journals and encourage these smaller journals to broaden their editorial scope. The rate of publishing required to be successful is too high. Slowing this rate and reducing total publications required to have a career will be helpful for labor power and equity. Hiring and tenure committees should consider candidates with fewer publications. Thinking big, coalitions of faculty unions could throw weight into the struggle by refusing to publish. On a smaller scale, those who are already successful can refuse more authorships and awards, for that matter. Reducing the number of publications that successful professors put out could eventually reduce expectations of hiring committees. Again, this is useful in changing the narrative from physicists who are excellent to physicists who do good. Solidarity with communities in resistance. Many communities close to mines and other extractive projects have been resisting them for a long time. Their campaigns vary in strategy and size. Many are indigenous nations defending their own land, and many are under threat of violence. Dozens of land defenders are murdered every year all over the world. See Global Witness 2019. The goals, support community resisting extraction. The tactics. Acting in solidarity with each of these communities and their campaigns will look different. Join local activist networks who connect with communities and take direction from them. In Toronto, the Mining and Justice Solidarity Network is a good place to start. Learn about communities, the tactics they use, and the goals they have. Join and support protests. Bring your research group. Lots of coordination, advertising, and day of volunteering is necessary for a good protest. Join the organizing group, make signs, marshal, run media. There's lots of ways to help. Communities in legal battles are often in need of expert witnesses. Fluid dynamics, geophysics, and engineering expertise could be useful. Physicists have some social clout. Use this in the media to help spread the message of communities especially if you have a connection through your work to the material that comes from the extractive site in question. Leadism and refusal. Technology is not always good. The Leadites knew this. An organized group of textile workers in 18th century England, they smashed mechanized looms made by Ada Lovelace installed by their bosses when they threatened worker power. See Hobbes Baum, 1964. Neo-Luddite movements are against technology that concentrates power and uses resources unnecessarily. See an overview in Lackney and Dotson, 2018. They are not afraid to consider a world with fewer machines. The goals. Change the view that technology is inherently good. Destroy or do not make technology that we do not need. The tactics. Begin with methodological leadism. 
imagining the world or physics without certain technologies. See Luis Garcia et al. 2018. Write about these possibilities so that others may also imagine it. Write about the risks of technology in physics papers. And do not write glowingly about unnecessary technology. Then, pick projects which are lower resource, relying on already existing technology or already collected data. Though we must remember that collected data is not a free resource either, since it takes energy and computers made of silicon and metal to store it. Pick projects which are unlikely to be useful. This may require misrepresentation of the project and grant proposals, but that's not abnormal anyway. Refuse participation in high-resource projects. Build labor power with an intent to foster the ability to refuse work. Anti-imperialism and anti-militarism. Physics work has and often still does support military work. There is a history of resistance within physics, which reached a peak during the Cold War. See more, 2008. Organized anti-military sentiment is harder to come by these days, likely because of concerted efforts to destroy anti-war movements through COINTELPRO and propaganda. See Anderson and Murley's 2014 and Saito, 2002. This direction is difficult, but it has the potential to be powerful. As everywhere, work with others as much as possible and be careful. The goals. Do not further imperialism and militarism in physics. Obstruct imperialism and militarism through physics. The tactics. Every physics worker has connections with some kind of militarism. Analyze these connections. Publicize the analysis to shift the narrative of science as neutral. Research military projects in or near your area of expertise and share with anti-war organizations, especially if the project is not well known. Assist anti-war organizations in day-to-day -day operations. Participate in abolitionist movements against cops, prisons, and militaries. Act in solidarity with victims of war. Protest the platforming of weapons manufacturers at physics institutions or career fairs. And keep in mind here that these companies work very hard to make their weapons work seem innocuous. Vocally refuse military funding and collaborations between science funding and war organizations, like NSERC with the Department of National Defense. Diversity efforts are funded in part because science and tech expertise is necessary for America and Canada to maintain imperial power. See Parlberg 2004 and Ong 2005. We cannot resist this merely by saying that it is a bad motivation for diversity. Resist this motivation by actively obstructing the utility of science for militarism. Thinking big, obstruct work at military labs and private industry. Aim to collaborate with relevant unions if possible. Support workers in the arms trade, not the arms trade. See in Canada, the organization Labor Against the Arms Trade. Community-driven, problem-oriented research. 
physics tends to not address problems that are immediately relevant to communities. In her 2012 article, Baby Steps Towards Feminist Physics, Barbara Witten talks about the potential for physicists to do community-driven research that genuinely addresses a problem. The goals. Run physics research on a problem-by-problem basis instead of a question basis for and with communities. Tactics. Learn about participatory research in the sciences. See, for instance, Liboron et al. 2018b. Connect with communities. Do not assume there are problems. There is a great deal of work to be done to build useful toolkits for people-relevant science. Maintenance and education. When we refuse research projects and slim down our dependence on using and producing high-resource and likely militarized technology, a likely outcome is a reduction in things to do. Refusing to do some science means a slower science, to be sure. Yet, there is already so much knowledge kicking around. The goals? Shift the focus of physics to maintaining knowledge rather than expanding it. The tactics. Develop skills in librarianship, archiving, and education. Build the narrative of maintenance as important. And shift the current focus on physics education from education in support of the current structure of physics to education for the maintenance of knowledge. Limitations to these strategies. Many junior faculty are already struggling as adjuncts. Unions are non-existent or failing. Some of the goals I've just discussed are genuinely out of reach while we are facing the crushing boot of neoliberal economics and living with the results of decades of well-resourced state suppression of resistance. Those who are interested in change are few and already stretched thin. There are dozens of possible projects for changing physics, which each would require enormous amounts of work. Often the people interested in change are marginalized and subject to harassment, and backlash can be very real. Refusal of projects might mean that those who are interested in individually amassing power have more opportunities for it. And the people with power to change things within departments generally just don't. Every physicist is subject at some level to the decisions made by those who distribute grants. This is all what it is to work within a system that operates on massive power discrepancies. Being conscious of limitations and risks is very important. It doesn't mean that we can't do anything, though. That's part of the reason why I have tried to engage here with so many areas for action. If one area is limited, another might not be. Or, at least, that limitation may tell you about how power works and point to another of its weaknesses. It can be helpful also to consider what a limitation is for each person and why. This also tells us about power and helps us to reflect on what is important to us. Section 6.4 Loosening Our Grip on Physics I spoke in the introduction about what I meant when I talked about physics. In many ways, I mean something based on my own experiences as a student and researcher, as anyone does. 
I loosely define the scope of my research here as applying to institutionally practiced and historically Eurocolonial physics. And this starting definition and the ensuing discussion did some boundary work. Through my investigation of my first research question about how physics participates in disoriginating, I asserted that writing practices in experimental physics disorigin materials, and that lab practices benefit from extractive structures. I could be missing lab practices which are highly connected to land. If those lab practices exist, I have written this thesis as if they are not a part of the physics I am talking about. There are many practices outside of this narrow definition of physics which are highly connected to land and which resist extraction. In the previous section, I suggested some ways that physics workers could take on some of those practices as part of their work. If those actions were widely taken up, would it fuzz the edges of what counts as physics? If writing land stories were a part of physics, surely skills in history, ecology, and political economy would be as well. But I don't want to redefine physics. I'm not committed to the idea of a landed physics, and I don't really want to assert that solidarity work can be a part of it. Instead, I think if Luddism and land ethics were taken seriously, the whole discipline would be drastically different. To genuinely change the practice of physics, we have to let go of there needing to be a physics at all. Its current structures of education, research, publishing, military and government funding, venture capitalism, and demarcation from other fields do not serve responsible relations. We must let go of these structures and build something new in their place, unattached from the goals of what physics has been up till now. We do not need a physics that seeks to build a quantum computer. We do not need a physics that must know exoplanets. We do not need axions. We do not need particles. What we need is a planet on which life thrives. There is no doubt that the practice of seeking knowledge can be kind and just. And neither exoplanets nor electrons are responsible for the unjust ways that they become legible to us. It's not that nothing good comes from our current search for knowledge. These things are beautiful. It is an honor to know them. But I know also that it is an honor to know the rich, complex, stinky world of forest floor and bird flights and carrion, or to work for food for your community, or to spend time fighting for our world. It is the deepest honor and the wealthiest thing to be a part of a world with good relations that you know will last. As it currently stands, practices within physics generally support extractivism. Extractivism, along with militarism, colonialism, and capitalism, is hanging the world out to dry. The climate catastrophe, devastation of devastations, is upon us. The discipline is not exclusively responsible for everything bad that it is involved in, of course, yet everyone involved must act responsibly. The world doesn't need the physics that currently exists. What it needs is physics workers who resist, for everyone's sake.